Sports Betting Preview Podcast from Pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Welcome to the first Pregame.com video podcast for 2010 football season. I'm your host, R.J. Bell, and we are super excited. We have a brand new studio, three cameras, more effects, and ultimately what it means for you is the great information worth batting you've come to be used to is going to be easier to consume and more enjoyable to consume. Okay, let's get straight to it. I'm joined by... Marco D'Angelo, 31 years in the business. We're talking Purdue-Notre Dame. As a batter, what am I interested in in this game? Okay, first off, the current line in this game is sitting at Notre Dame minus 11 with an over-under of 55. This game had opened up at various places anywhere from minus 10 to minus 12.5, but it has settled in at minus 11. The earlier opens, it opened in Vegas at 10, but the thing is, these days in Vegas, they're usually waiting for the sharp offshore books, Chris and Olympic most notably, to open up, let the wise guys bet into that first. Because if you're a wise guy that has a strong opinion, let's say you love Purdue in this game, and you see a nice double-digit number like uh, 12 and a half, you're going to get excited and, and figure, hey, I'm going to bet this thing right now. Line drifts down. A little while later, Hilton opens up. Now it's back up to 11. So in general, I think we can say the wise guys, the early batters, were on the dog here. Absolutely. And, again, just to preface that the first week, this is the only time of the season that the lines will be out this early. These were out six right. to eight weeks. So six to eight weeks, these lines have been touched up. Now what was interesting, Jimmy Vaccaro uh, this week mentioned that Except for the Vikings, now this is NFL, no NFL line has moved more than a point, and they've all been up for eight weeks. So if you want to talk about the tightness factors, how, remember, a line moving is a sports book saying, we don't really know what the line should be, you're going to tell us by your betting. Because sometimes, especially in the NFL, betters will bet, 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 and that line won't move because the books are very confident in their number. Other times, especially in, in college football, more than the NFL, is they're going to move a line sometimes four or five points, Absolutely. which is a sign as a better that the books aren't confident in their numbers, and thus you're more inclined to want to bet that sport because of the lack of confidence of the book, even though they're getting 11 to 10. So a lot of these college games have had significant movement over six weeks. Here we're looking from 12 and a half to 11, so modest movement. And the other big point here is there's a lot of excitement in Notre Dame this year. They've got a new coach. Charlie Weiss is out. And Notre Dame, we've talked about it numerous times on this show in in all sports. There's certain teams that have, like your favorite word, Marquinas, that are going to have an adjustment in the line just because right, so Vegas knows public perception is going to go to that side. And, and that's the point. A line is supposed to split the action. And there's a lot of Notre Dame alum out there and a lot of big fans that are going to bet Notre Dame every chance they get or they're going to bet Notre Dame more times than they're going to bet against them. And thus there's a premium. The Cowboys, the Lakers, 
Notre Dame, these are some high state, these are some of the class. The more likely a team is to be on TV, the more likely there's going to be a premium in their line. So in general, I look to fade those teams, look to fade Notre Dame. Now, it seems like we have a classic case of a first-year coach at Notre Dame and the flip side, which is a second-year coach, which both of them are a handicapping factor. So first, let's talk about the handicapping factor that a first-year coach is. When you have a new coach come in, one of the things that you've got to look at is whatever program he came from, what is he bringing to the new place? Is it an offense? What is he bringing? So system-wise. System-wise. Is it a similar offense? Because you've got to remember when he comes there, he's going to bring his style, but he's working with the old coach's players. And if the other team was running a totally different offense, you might not have the right personnel to run your offense. All right. So here is, is, is a, a takeaway, is the fact that, First-year coaches typically get the fan base more excited. The other coach... Now, there's exceptions. Tom Osborne retires. There's going to be a sense at you know the next year in Nebraska that things are worse. Right. But most of the time, the coach isn't, doesn't ride off into the sunset with a parade. Most of the time, the coach is getting fired or forced out. So thus, whoever it is that they bring in, there's more excitement. In general, that means more betting on that team. You know, you listen to Mike and Mike, for example, Golick is a Notre Dame alum. His son's at Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken. He is so excited about Kelly. Now, that means more betting, so more marquiteness, more premium. But in truth, the performance on the field is worse for a first-year team because of all the disruption. There's a new, you know, new system, most likely, new trainers, all the way up and down, the whole apparatus of this team, disruption. Now, you make a great point, and we can talk about it specifically with Notre Dame. This, all disruption is not created equal. Sometimes, if it's a very different offense, the disruption's massive because the player personnel don't match up with the system. Now, specifically in the Notre Dame case, how would you uh, assess the disruption factor when it comes to system versus personnel? With what Charlie Weiss was running at Notre Dame, a pro-style offense, Kelly was running a similar offense at Cincinnati. So that's going to give them a leg up on not missing a beat. The only thing that they'll have to do is obviously, you know, they're going to have a disadvantage this year replacing their starting quarterback, but the system's going to be in place. New coach, new quarterback, new system. Though it might be a similar system, a new system. That all, look to me, looks to fade. Now, flip side, if we assume that in the first year teams underperform, then what happens in the second year? Well, great segue to Purdue. Uh, the coach for Purdue, uh, Danny Hope, took over for Tiller. They would have been at Purdue forever. Last year was the first year. Purdue underachieved a little bit. You've got to expect an improvement. And any time a coach comes into a program, generally they always talk about a five-year plan, how you know each year there's an improvement. But as a better, we've got short memories. The betters only going to remember. Or the losing betters. Or the, lo- the losing betters have short memories. If they lost with the team last year, they're going to think, oh, you know, the Purdue program is going to go start to fade because Tiller's gone, where in essence – you're going to see an improvement, you should see an improvement the second year just for the continuity factor, and they could be an, you know, an undervalued team 
early on in the season. Now, what was it, seven, eight years ago? What was the coach? There was a coach that went out to the WAC that was at Purdue, and then they went out to the WAC. Oh, or was it vice versa? It went, uh, I'm having a mental block. No, my friend was coaching at Wyoming at the time, and that's why I had. So it was Tiller, I think, went from the WAC, right? Where did he coach at before? Uh, it was Wyoming, sure. right? It could, it could have been. That's it. That's what it was. Anyway, that's off subject. All right. So with that second-year coach, because of the likely underperformance the first year, now the batters are sick of him. Oh, my God, you loser. This, this guy's not going to really turn this team around. And this is just when the team is going to start showing, if it's a good coach, going to start showing progress when they're most undervalued, which means great value. Right. This is all, again, getting in front of the market. You know, as batters, we're trying to find the value before Vegas makes the adjustments. And in this situation, Purdue could be an undervalued all right, so let's dig, let's dig into your projections on the game. For this game, you know, Purdue going into Notre Dame, it's going to be tough for them to win there. Notre Dame will get the win, uh, but I don't think they're going to have the big blowout. I have the game. My projected score is Notre Dame 28, Purdue 20. Um, I will say this. If it is in the fourth quarter and they have an opportunity and Notre Dame's up seven, I would not expect Kelly. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know something, this isn't fair. <laughs> you had the 28-20 projection. Mm-hmm. Then, then before we taped, we were talking about my opinion. You're trying to step on my opinion here. Yeah, but I think... No, oh, I can't believe that. Well, I'm the host. You're the host. But <laughs> what, what the audience doesn't know is this is our fourth take, and it actually was my thought first, then it was RJ's you're thought crazy. in take two. You're crazy. <laughs> but here's, the, here's, here's the thought of the CEO. Is <laughs> I, th- I agree, there's value. On Purdue in the first year, second year, I think is key. Fade Notre Dame is key. We're coming. We're, we're a point and a half or so off the open. We've lost that value already. And number two, if there's one time this excitement, this emotion is going to make a difference, it's going to be this first home game. And Purdue is a, a team they play every year. This is a rivalry. I think that not only will the emotion play a factor, I think the likelihood of Notre Dame being motivated to get that second touchdown to go up 14 late if they have the opportunity is going to be higher than normal. And both of those make me think this is a good number. I certainly don't like Notre Dame, but if you would have asked me six months ago, if you have Notre Dame with a first-year coach against Purdue with a second-year coach and blah, 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 I'm going to love the dog more times than not. This is a rare time I think the number's right. And it's pretty important to remember the number's right most of the time. Is, is if you try to pick every game, you're, you're never getting above 52.5. You've got to find the spots where the market's wrong. And oftentimes, we're going to be talking about the most, the biggest games of the week, and the line's going to be right sometimes. And for us to force a play is going to do a disservice. So any closing thoughts on this game? I think it'll be an entertaining game to watch. I will say one thing. We've talked all about the new coaches. Ironically, Notre Dame's last two coaches their best year at Notre Dame was their first year there. Right, Win-loss so, rise. So what does that tell you? Well, that, it, that seems to go against what we were saying It early. does, but it's just that I don't know if it's because Notre Dame is on such a higher plateau and that those coaches are just so focused and, you know, I don't know. But it's Maybe just, the excitement factor of, of the boosters and the whole organization. Because you could have said the first time you could have said, well, the guy, 
the guy got a bum rap. He got fired too early. He had some great players, and the other coach came. That's what they said about Weiss is he was benefit Because he went, people forget he went to two BCS games, yep. right? So with uh, another coach, coach's players, uh, in theory, if Weiss wasn't a good recruiter, then this, the, the coverage are even more bare now than they would have been three or four years ago. The only advice I'll give Notre Dame is if Kelly has you're giving, a wait, you're giving Notre Dame advice? I'm giving Notre Dame advice. Look into the cam- Let's go to the two-shot. Look into the camera. If Kelly has a great first year, please do not give him a contract extension right away because that hasn't worked the last two times. All right. That's, that, we got some advice if you're a batter, and we got some advice if you're the chancellor in Notre Dame. What more could you want? Okay. First episode's in the books, hopefully. And we're going to do other games this week. So remember, you can get all of our videos at pregame.tv. North Carolina at LSU. Marco, what should betters be thinking about? This game comes down to value and what I feel is an over-adjustment by the Vegas odd makers to the pending uh, suspensions around this game. Okay, so that's been the big talk with the game is these suspensions. My understanding is that... We've got multiple players. How many players are we looking at? Upwards of 12. 12 players. It looks like they could be suspended formally by the NCAA. But even if not, if they're not suspended and they play, or let's say they play and are later suspended, they are going to forfeit this game. So it would seem to me the only way that North Carolina is going to play these players is if they are almost 100% sure that there's going to be no suspensions. Now, that, that line, it's moved a ton, and you're going to talk about that. But just in the last 24 hours, it's moved from four to six? Four to six and a half, actually. Okay, which LSU was a favorite of, by four, now it's six and a half, which means it seems like the inside information is saying they're not going to play these players. It would look that way, and you're going to also get the wave of the public loves to jump on these type of things, too. They're going to grab LSU. So they're thinking, it's that old adage, they're thinking, hey, these guys are going to be suspended. Maybe Vegas doesn't know about this. But the fact is, usually there's an overreaction to this kind of thing where the public overestimates. Absolutely. And you being a guy, we've talked about this before, LSU, Saturday nights at Baton Rouge, that's a myth that it's like, you know, you're going to Death Valley, you can't win there. And it's actually a myth. Uh, and that's one of you the You get other. some stats to back that. That's well, a big claim. Well, it's a big claim. I'm going to go to Les Miles, the coach. In, in handicapping games, sometimes you look at coaching styles. He is not a guy that's a margin coach. His whole premise is get yourself to the fourth quarter and put yourself in position to win games. Now, at six and a half, it, now if this line was 11, I could see what you're saying. Even at six and a half, you're thinking because of the propensity to close games, those, those six and a half points are very valuable. Absolutely. In his, this is his sixth year there. He's got a 51 and 15 straight up record, but against the spread, he's only 25, 32, and 7. Okay, so that talks about against the spread in general. But you've seen, when, as you've dug deeper, is inc- they play a lot of close games, thus laying upwards of a touchdown you don't like in general. I don't like it. And I'm actually, I'm going to take a position on this game, even with the suspensions. I think this is going to be a low-scoring defensive game. I see it as a 17-16 type game. Now, is this, this is uh, your, we do, you do one best bet every week on the videos. Is this your best bet? We're going to go with it. Yes, we are. We're going to take North Carolina plus the points. I like Butch Davis as a, as a coach. He's got this program back on track. This is his fourth year there. They've gone to back-to-back bowl games. 
they brought back almost the entire team prior to the suspensions. This team was returning 19 of 22 starters, including the quarterback. All right, so I know you always believe that, and this is one of your pet theories, and I agree with it, is the first game after a, a loss of players. Oftentimes it's injuries. This time it's suspensions. Is that the other players rise to the occasion, the, 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 the passion around, hey, we're not going to let this affect us, especially with a season with such high expectations with all the returners. That makes a ton of sense to me. Is that the main reason you're making this play? Is you see them rising to the occasion? I see them rising to the occasion. They've got a solid offense and a, a solid defense. Combine that with what I said the way uh, Les Miles coaches, it puts them in that they're going to be in this ball game. I think in the fourth quarter. And and you like the points. Now this game opened up like six weeks ago at LSU minus one. So we got five and a half points of value with the pit, you know, because of these pendants. And two and a half just in the last 24, 24 hours. hours. Yep. Okay. And all right, so now do you wait to, for this game to go to seven? This would be a situation that you're not going to lose anything by waiting because at worst it's maybe going to come back down to six, so you're not losing any value. But if it does make that last push to seven, that half point that you gain, so you're right. Let's just say it's it's. Let's just say randomly, though, it, with the suspensions, the pressure seems to be moving up. So the odds are probably better than fifty percent to go to seven. But let's just say it was fifty percent. You're fifty percent of the time you're going to get onto a key number. Fifty percent of the time, let's say fifty percent of the time that it moves. Oftentimes it's going to stay the same, so you don't lose or gain anything. If it does go to seven, you gain a key number. If it goes to six, though six is a semi-key number, you lose less than you gain. So why not take the chance, especially with the momentum? Plus, even if it lands on six, you're not losing the bet. Yeah, that's a different way. That, that, that's a more complicated concept. But in, in general, I agree. So you're making your video best bet on North Carolina. You want to wait for the seven, but you're going to play it an hour before game time no matter what. Absolutely. Okay, good stuff. Now, now it's your turn. You can continue the conversation in the comments section, and Marco and I will actually answer all your questions and all your thoughts. Next up, we're going to be, what game we have next, Marco? We're going to come up with Boise State, Virginia Tech. It's a big game on Monday night. Next up, Boise State, Virginia Tech. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. Virginia Tech, Boise State, Monday night. Marco, what should betters be thinking about? Can Virginia Tech do something that only one team has done in the last two years? That's beat Boise State. Well, the line says it's going to be close to a toss-up. This game, RJ, comes down to Virginia Tech if they're able. With now, a- just to let you know, sometimes you forget that we're a batting show. Mm-hmm. All right? So I'm a batter. Mm-hmm. I've got my pencil and paper out. Right. What should I be looking at when I handicap this game? If you believe Virginia Tech will be able to run the ball and control the clock and overpower Boise State. This is going to be power football against Boise State. Okay, now that's an interesting point because that's always the question. Boise and those teams, TCU last year, are playing against teams that they are most likely better than physically most of the time. So they've got more physicality. They've got better skill positions, better coaching, and they just dominate. It's, it's like a JV team versus a senior varsity team. 
I remember back, and, and you were, you know, you remember this, you were in your 30s probably, is the Houston run and shoot teams, right? Remember back in the day? It, I remember there was a classic game against Miami of Florida on a Thursday night game, and Miami rushed three, if I remember, and just, just pushed that line all the way back. And it was a, a, a situation where the skill positions and the scheme couldn't compete against the, the, the physicality. Is that, is that the question that you see as the key question? That, absolutely. That's the whole thing. And if Virginia Tech is able to do that, they're going to be able to control the game, stay in the game, and then that's going to play right into their hands. On the flip side, if Boise State is able to come out and get a couple quick scores like they do on most teams, that just ruins Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech is not geared to be a comeback team. They're okay, well, remember, we're, that's a good point. We're a show about answers, not questions. So how will Virginia Tech do against Boise? Well, this is going to be a theory that I'm going to use, and this is how I came up with this game because I can tell you, Right now, in Vegas, the betting on this game, and I'm looking at over 12,000 bets on this game, and there'll be a ton more come Monday because this is the ESPN game. Okay, so this is coming from sportsbookspy.com. We actually track the bets coming in, and that's from multiple sportsbooks. Go ahead. We're looking at this game's being bet 50-50. Now, the line has taken a small drop. It opened at 2.5. It has come down to 1.5, Boise State favorite. The game is being played on a neutral field. I want people to realize that. All right, so let's talk about that. Is This is in Washington, D.C.? It's in Washington, D.C. It's going to be a, like a home neutral for Virginia Tech, obviously, proximity to, you know, from Virginia so to how, D.C. So how does the neutral field, Boise is renowned for their home field advantage. How does the neutral field affect this game? Um, it's a situation that's obviously going to favor Virginia Tech, but... What I'm doing and looking at the line, this is going to be a concept, and I, and I know you'll dissect it, but I look at games whenever I have a trouble of deciding which side I want to come up with. I bring in the teaser to help me figure out what I want to do with this game. And to me, when this game opened at 2.5, if you teased Virginia Tech up to 9.5 with their power game and you know, the premise that they're going to be able to power... That looks too good to be true, Virginia Tech plus 9.5, because I don't think anybody thinks Virginia Tech will get blown out in this game. With that thinking, it makes me go the other way, and if you put the gun to my head, that's going to land me on Boise State that Vegas did put them out as, a, as open at a 2.5. Right, so this is, this is what we talk about in pregame forums a lot, is this is what you're considering a potential trap game, is if it's too good to be true from Vegas, it probably is, and you're saying, looking at this game, the idea that you could tease, which a lot of the square players do, Virginia Tech up to plus eight, plus eight and a half, that is such a strong play, you think, not necessarily as a handicap, but the perception is, is you're saying that's too good to be true, so I don't like that Virginia Tech side, I like Boise. Exactly. And, and there's really two kinds of handicappers, the guys that try to figure out what Vegas is trying to do and taking advantage of, you know, they're trying to screw the suckers and you're going to take advantage of that. Or there's the value guys that say, I just want to find the line that's two or three points up. You're mostly a trap guy and you look at this as a slight trap situation, so you like Boise. Right. Another reason that I do like Boise, I actually like the fact that this is the first game of the season rather than later in the season. Because 
is they run deeper in the season. If you had a, a monumental test like this, there's more pressure because you know you're undefeated. You're getting deeper into the season and trying. Because really, if they win this ball game, they can run the table. Well, the, we did a press release, and you can go to pregame.com and check this out. Just this week, and it was mentioned on Mike and Mike, our friends. Uh, uh, Mike and Mike's been great with us is Boise is favored or projected to be favored in every game this season, but this as a two-point favorite is, is by far the closest game. So they will not have really another classically close game the rest of the year if they can win this game. But you're saying the fact that it's not, they're not a no takes the pressure off a little bit. Right. And they've had all summer spring drills, every practice, they've been one focus. This first game, Virginia Tech make a, make good a point. And, and I think Boise, though Virginia Tech has good coaching, I think Boise has extraordinary coaching. And the first game of the year, especially when it's a tough competitive game, coaching matters because they've had months to prepare. And Boise is a team that's more apt to put in trick plays, as we've seen. It's a good point, too. So you're making a formal projection on this. I lean to Boise 31-24. I got Boise State winning it. Okay, now you actually, this is not your best bet on the videos. That's on another video. That is correct. Okay, good stuff. Okay, now it's your turn. Make any comment in the forums or at YouTube, and we'll actually respond to it, Marco and I, and we're going to continue the conversation. Next up, we're looking at Toledo and Arizona. Arizona at Toledo. What should betters be looking at, Marco? This game, Toledo. Can they stop Arizona enough in this game, off, you know, stop their offense? I say no. One of the reasons is Toledo runs a quirky defense. It's a 4-2-5 defense. 4-2-5, okay. Wasn't that the defense in all the right moves when, when they were <laughs> submarining underneath in the mud? Uh, it, it could be. It, I, I could see you liking that move. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> but Arizona, they've remember got that. Remember they're in the, they're drinking at Christmas. They're going, 5-2 stack monster. 5-2 stack monster. <sighs> I, I could go on about that, but you got Yeah, that's, because that's kind of the town we came from. You know, that does remind me that's, a lot. That's the scary it does, part. It does, uh, Arizona, I think they're going to be able to run the ball at will in this game. They've got a good offensive line. And they've got some power backs. With this offense, if they crack the front line, they're going to they're gonna have some big gains uh, in this game. And that's going to be the key to me. I think it's actually going to be a high-scoring game, personally. Okay, now I actually have my uh, best video best bet on this game. I can't wait. Yes, yes, it's <laughs> exciting. ESPN Friday night. Here's what I'm thinking. First off, there's been a ton of line move in this game. Opened up, and you made a good point in another video, is the first week of the season or the first week for each team, there's been six or eight weeks of line movement. And there's going to be more extreme line movement uh, over that course of time. Uh, Well, for a couple reasons. One, people have had a long time to look at these games. But two, things happen, suspensions, injuries, etc. This game opened 12 and a half, is all the way up to 16 right now as of taping. Big move. Most of that money is sharp money. Most of the time, let's be honest, the Sharps are betting the dog. When you see such a big move on the favor, one, it makes you think one of two things. Is they really like the favor or they're looking to buy it back. Now, is this Arizona 
Toledo, is this a game that's going to be likely that they suspected the line was going to keep moving up? I don't know because here's what's interesting. Arizona's off a 33-0 to shellacking. They got killed in the Holiday Bowl against Nebraska. Now, that, that was a, a, a total embarrassment. With Mike Stoops as the coach, uh, the Stoops brothers are very emotional coaches. It's about pride a lot with these guys. This team's going to be really fired up. But, but back for a minute with the wise guys, and I'm kind of hinting at my pick right now, and it's a rare pick for me because I rarely play a big favorite after there's been a line move. But I really think it's almost the perfect situation. I think the wise guys really like this game. I don't think they probably thought there was going to be a ton on an Arizona team that looked really bad last year. Now, again, who knows? We, when it comes to wise guy stuff, we're only guessing. So one is that move tells me the wise guys really like this. Number two, you know this Arizona team was fanatical in preparation leading up to this game after that 33-0 shellacking. But in addition, this is Stoops' seventh year. And I, I was reading some of the blogs, the local blogs in Arizona, preparing for this. And they're talking about, we hope Stoops puts up 70. The expectations in this game, the expectations are so high that I think the emotions, we talked about this in the Notre Dame podcast, I think the emotions are going to be so high that this is really going to be a good performance by Arizona. I think they're going to, it's going to be a statement game. And I don't see anything that makes me like Toledo. So I guess the question is, so this is going to be my best bet. It's going to be my best bet for the week. And it's going to be Toledo, or excuse me, it's going to be Arizona. I'm projecting 44 to 20 Arizona. So quickly, can you make any case the other way against? The only case that you can make with a team like Toledo in a game like this is they've got nothing to lose. And a lot of these, you know, Mac ball clubs early in the season have put up some fights. You know, Pitt's played some MAC teams opening week the last few years and had some struggles. It's a thing. They can make trick plays. They, they have nothing to lose, and it's a Friday night but if nothing crowd. To lo- here's the thing. If nothing to lose, now you're going to say something I agree with, but let's talk about with nothing to lose, if that was the best way to play, every team would play that way. So I agree. Nothing. To- if you were saying, can Toledo upset? Yeah, playing a nothing-to-lose game plan increases the variance. It's like shooting a bunch of threes. If, if Princeton's playing Georgetown circuit 85, I'm making a lot of old references here, if all they do is shoot threes, they might win more often than they would play in a normal game, but they're going to get blown out more often, too. It's going to be a high-variance game. If Toledo plays high-variance, doesn't that play into Arizona's hands to cover the 16? You're absolutely right. That style can go both ways but it's going to go both ways against you more than for you if not that would be the standard style right the situations where i think that it becomes a uh, a better gamble and we've talked you've talked about this and i remember the game last year i think it was new england um against the, it might have been the colts whenever um the fourth down the fourth down right you've got situations where fourth and two automatically you punt i mean that's what the book says a team like toledo could gamble a few times in a game if they're overpowered because it's the only way to have a chance. And sometimes that fourth and two is a better gamble. Yeah, but I guess my point is this. If gambling, 
there's two issues. Is it the better? The old book doesn't matter. That, those book, that book has yellow pages in it. That doesn't matter. The question is, analytically, is it a better play? Is it a better gamble or not? If Toledo gambles more than optimum, that's going to hurt their expectation to win or to stay within 16 points. But you were going to make the final point about ESPN game. It's an ESPN game on Friday night. First game of the season, the crowd will be loud, you know, excited. What kind of crowd's Toledo? What's that stadium hold? It's still, but I mean, how many times have you said, I don't know how many it holds, it's small, but the smaller stadium sounds louder when they're right on top of you, you know, closed in. It's a situation that I don't, I'm not making a case for Toledo. You asked me, is there anything I can say for him? You make a good point. But I will say, I, in handicapping the game, I have Arizona hitting in the 40s. So you, that's where you're at. You know, if I was playing the game, I would lean towards the over in the game. And I do think that Toledo will have a problem stopping the Arizona offense. I'm sticking with my best bet. Go okay, it. now it's your turn. You can continue the conversation in the comments section. And Marco and I will actually be involved in the conversation. Next up, we're going to do a how to handicap and talking about early season college football handicap. <laughs> For free real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit PregameLines.com. This is a special How to Handicap instructional video, How to Handicap Early Season College Football. Marco, give us the first key factor. First key factor is you've got to look at what the team is bringing back. You've got to look at the nucleus of the team, how many returning starters, and who those starters are. Top key is obviously the quarterback. He's the guy that drives the car. Next you want to look at, for me, is the offensive line. Offensive line, very important in both pro and college football. Now that's something the typical average batter doesn't focus on as much. The quarterback for sure. But the offensive line is usually under-considered. You consider it the second most important. I do, and I have a saying, and you guys that know me, I've said it a hundred times, if you don't have a good offensive line, it's the equivalent of trying to drive a car with a flat tire. You, don't, you, know, you just can't do it. It's not smooth, and you're not going to go far. So look for teams at the beginning of the season. And this, again, we're talking like the very first week, second week, because they're going to have a leg up over teams that are rebuilding and you know, plugging new players in. All right, so let me ask this question. Is it that the offensive line is so important? It's probably a combination. I'll give you a hint what the answer is going to be. Or is it the fact that inexperience on the offensive line is worse than inexperience or, or is more detrimental than inexperience at cornerback or at wide receiver? Right, because if, the play, if you're in a passing play, if you make a mistake on the offensive line, your quarterback's on the ground. <laughs> there is no pass, okay? So play's over. And you can have a turnover and a cheap touchdown the other way. So, yeah, it's very important. On the running game... If you don't have the blocking but schemes But done. hold on a second. We know it's important. The, the question I'm asking is, is how much of that importance, because we're going to do a how to handicap mid-season college football in October. We're going to do a how to handicap late season in November. Are you going to say the offensive line in, in October? Are you going to say it in November? And if not, what's special about it early in the season? What's special about it early in the season is the continuity factor. These guys uh, already that's what I'm So the experience, the continuity on the offensive line is more important than continuity at cornerback. Absolutely. Okay, I agree with that. What's number two? 
another thing that you got to look at is coaches. There's going to be every year. There's going to be coaching changes in the college ranks. Uh, you know, this is a sport. What have you done for me now? You're out the door. When you have new coaches come in, one thing you've got to be careful of is there's always hoopla expectations. And an example that I'll cite that was probably in recent years one of the most notable is the Michigan program. Storied program, you know, winning tradition. Uh, Lloyd Carr was got there. It, we got it, Michigan. We got it. Go ahead. You got it. Rich Rodriguez comes in. Did well at West Virginia, so expectations were high. The problem, and people, you know, bet Michigan out of the gate, thinking Rodriguez would do the same there that he did at Michigan or at West Virginia. Problem is, when you go to another school, you are inheriting the old coach's players. Your first recruiting class is not going to have an impact your first year there. Okay, so we prepped on this, and there's a key distinction. You make a great point. One is there's disruption with a new coach no matter what. Some, all disruption is not created equal. Some of the disruption, and you make the great point, does the player personnel, does the personnel on the field match up with the new system? In extreme cases, if you ran the option and then you're going to a pro sat, you don't have the quarterback. So as you examine this new coach and how disruptive the change is going to be, that's one of the key factors, which is the player personnel. I love that concept. I also love, just in general, looking to fade the first-year coaches because it's a combination of a disruption, which is a negative to performance, plus the hoopla, which is a positive to expectation. Negative performance, positive expectation, that equals value fading. And when you say value, let's elaborate. Value is that Vegas is going to put a higher tariff on those teams because of public perception that they're going to be Because the public's bad and the market likes them. Right. All right, so fading uh, new coaches, especially if there's been a disruption uh, in the system and the player personnel. Okay, you've got a third big one. We've got, well, there's a second part to the coaches. Oh, go ahead. You've got new coaches, Mm -hmm. but you've also got second-year coaches Mm. every season because now you go back and look at those guys, what they did the first year, and what we just said is more often than not, they're going to underachieve just because of the change in that. Mm -hmm. And whenever you talk about a new coach, you always hear about the five-year plan. So if that is true, they're going to underperform in year one, the public reacts to what happened. You know, the public's always exactly. late Because they're to betting the- their nut money. That's something we keep talking about. This isn't reading three and eight or anything and thinking, oh, that's a that's a abstract concept. It's everyone that bet, any alums that bet them every game, won three times and lost eight times. What happens is the second year now, you're into the second year of the program. You've got a continuity factor. They're buying into the system. They're more comfortable with it. And if the coach was the right hire... He should improve in year two, and there should be value with that coach as they improve because they're going to be an undervalued commodity in the Vegas market. It's the flip side, expectation low or performance higher. I love it. I I love symmetry. Buy low, sell high. It's it's the same in football. All right. Anything else? Um, One thing to be careful of as you're migrating through the month of September is you've got to be careful with statistics because they're going to be – not true numbers. Remember that in the month of September, a lot of teams schedule what we call cupcakes, little sisters of the poor, whatever metaphor you want to use. They do it for two reasons. They, you know, they want to get those wins under their belt early in the season, pad their stats, but it's also 
almost like an exhibition for them because they get a chance to play some second uh, players, second string players in key games so that they get exposure for later in the season if injuries occur because a lot of these big programs, you know, they're hopefully going to be vying for the national championship. You want to have some depth at different positions. Okay, so what we're hearing is uh, a lot of teams, especially dominant teams, are not going to be playing their starters the whole time. And there's a second factor, which is they're going to be vanilla. They're going to have their, their, their playbook. It, it, the game planning is going to be as simple as possible because they can line up simply and still win these games. So the performance is going to be most likely for the best teams is going to be they're going to underperform a little bit, which makes you want to fade them in the right spots. I think look to fade the marquee teams early, laying 30, 35 points because of the vanilla factor, because of the second string factor. But it also calls into question the stats from those first couple games. So when you get to game four and game five, you really got to question those stats. You might have an average team that's, that has a winning by 15 points a game, getting 400 yards, 500 yards a game. So unless you're really good at adjustments for strength of schedule, you got to be very careful about stats early in the year. I couldn't have said it better, sir. Uh, well, you, you whispered it to me before we started. All right, really good stuff. Now, now it's your turn. Continue the conversation in the comments section, and Marco and I will reply to whatever you post. And, uh, oh, and we'll be back. Now, this is, a, this is a tease for a month or so from now. We're going to be back in early October. And we're going to be talking about mid-season. We'll do another How to Handicap, mid-season college football handicaps.